Howdy, 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 fans, and welcome to the nuts and volts of pro wrestling. I'm your host, T. Volts, and I'm going to be giving you the nuts and bolts this episode on the NWA World Heavyweight Title Match. Now, I know what you're thinking. Cody, you can't call me Rhodes. Well, you're wrong. Sort of. You see, I wasn't set on what I wanted to cover for this episode until the recent and much-heralded All-In event took place. As we all know now, it was a huge success, but I must admit, I didn't get around to watching the whole thing. After all, I have that Lonesome Dove novel to get through. I was, however, very interested in the NWA title match, as I have a lot of nostalgia for the title, and in fact... Back when the NWA brand restarted with Billy Corgan at the helm, they'd ask who should vie for the title. Well, I immediately said none other than either of the Rhodes brothers being Cody or Dustin. So, somehow, somewhere, someone read my tweet. So, you're welcome for that matchup at All In. Hey, you might as well thank me for All In being an idea at all. And after you do that, I have some ice to sell you in Alaska. I did eventually, though, get to watch the match, thanks to the gimmick being sent to me to view. And after I knocked out one more page of Lonesome Dove, and I must admit, I enjoyed that one more page a little bit more, I also enjoyed this match. Now, it certainly wasn't Steamboat Savage, but what is? I did really enjoy the presentation, and Cody was most definitely the favorite here. But, enough about that. Let's head back to 1987 and one of many tremendous bouts between then-NWA champion Ric Flair and the worthy challenger Barry Windham. Now, before we head there, though, please check out our friend Bill Apter's new podcast, The Apter Chat, which you can find out about on their Twitter at The Apter Chat. And the co-advance to this podcast, the Pro Wrestling Reflections podcast. You can also find them on Twitter at PW Reflection. Also, check out our own Facebook page, Paper Champion. That can be found at facebook.com slash pwpaperchampion or the Facebook group Pro Wrestling Newsstand. But enough of that stuff. We'll be right back in a moment. Chicago, one tough town. It's known hard time and hot time. Chi-Town, USA, it's had its share of good guys and bad guys. But when Starcade came to town, Chicago finally met its match. Starcade 87, Chi-Town Heat, wrestling held to the title ground. Now on video cassette, only the best were here, only the greatest survived. Dusty Rhodes, the American Dream, and Lex Luger, the total package for the U.S. Heavyweight Championship. And Skywalker 2 raises the roof as the Rock and Roll Express and the Midnight Express turn up the heat 20 feet above the ring where anything can happen. Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard battle the Road Warriors on their home turf for the NWA World Tag Team Championship. And for the first time ever, the NWA versus the UWF. 
Nikita Koloff against Terry Taylor for the television title and the ultimate. Ric Flair, Ronnie Garvin, a no time limit, no disqualification, bone crusher for the World Heavyweight Championship. Plus, a spectacular six-man tag team battle with Sting, Freebird, Michael Hayes, Jimmy Garvin, Eddie Gilbert, Rick Steiner, and Larry Zabisco. Starcade 87, more than two hours of Chi-Town heat, and it's all here, hotter than anything you... All right, we're going to jump right into the action for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship as Nature Boy Ric Flair defends against the one and only Barry Windham. Now, the one I selected here, and there was there's more than one, and some are longer, some are shorter. Uh, as always, I want to respect your time, so I chose one of the shorter ones, and unfortunately, they don't show the entire match from beginning to end, but they show the majority of it. So we're just going to pick up right with the video here. As I press play here, uh, we see a sold out literally to the rafters crowd and you see the nature boy, the world heavyweight champion coming in looking only as he can look in a stunning sparkling blue robe. And now we're in the ring as referee Tommy Young shows the belt between the champion and challenger. And then it cuts away to a little bit later on in the match as Barry Windham delivers a strike to Ric Flair. He's definitely been on the receiving end, but the nature boy seems to be taking control of the action here as they are. Well, actually they're, you know, they're trading blows back and forth. Uh, Barry Windham trying to fire back on the nature boy and Rick, Nature Boy Ric Flair doing his patented face plant and begging off over in the corner as Barry Windham does something that you just don't see anymore. And he climbs the turnbuckle in the corner and starts giving the punches to the head of Ric Flair as Tommy Young is counting him. One, two, three. Of course, Barry Windham breaks before the 10 count and delivers a tremendous hip toss, but then misses a drop kick leaving the Nature Boy to go to work on the legs, the very ample legs of Barry Windham. Uh, actually, he just jumps right into his signature move, the figure four leg lock. Now, the, there is tremendous positioning by Tommy Young, many times PWI referee of the year. He has his back to Flair. Now, Flair is within reach of the ropes. So, of course, with Tommy Young, the referee's back to the ropes, the Nature Boy is able to reach up to the second rope adding the much-needed leverage on the long limbs of Barry Windham as Barry Windham really, really selling the fact that he is in this devastating figure four leg lock. He looks to be in agony, and just when he can't take it anymore, he lays back in pure exhaustion, although still holding that look of agony on his face, and then Tommy Young goes down to count him, and before the three count, Barry Windham would get up again and try to muscle out. Uh, something I would also see quite often when these opponents of Ric Flair would be in the figure four leg lock is just out of pure agony, they, the opponent would sometimes pull Tommy Young on top of them, just doing everything they can, fighting a client to get out of this. But uh, Tommy Young eventually does catch Ric Flair grabbing the ropes, and that turns into a face-off between Tommy Young and Ric Flair. But that does not last very long, just long enough for Bear Windham to once again fire up and come off with a flying lariat. And the Nature Boy is on his back here as Tommy Young is now counting both men down on the mat. But Barry Windham is the first to beat what I call the boxer's count, where both men are down and they are counting to 10, a la Rocky II, uh, the final fight between Apollo Creed and Rocky Balboa when, when they are both down and get the 10 count. And, of course, Rocky beats the count. 
Well, once again, Ric Flair has uh, taken the upper hand in this match as he sends Barry Windham over the top rope and to the concrete floor. Now, of course, this taking place in 1987, there were no mats out there, and things looked very gritty. We see the NWA ring apron around the ring. This is the uh, more of the navy blue with the yellow lettering NWA on it. Now, this is largely where, be, where the area where Nature Boy Ric Flair became the dirtiest player of the game or earned that moniker because he would pull out all the stops outside the ring, and currently he is chopping the chest of Barry Windham. Uh, as we've seen many times over the years, many people's chests after matches with Ric Flair look like hamburger meat. But Barry Windham firing up. Uh, he's coming into the ring with a sunset flip over Ric Flair and over the ropes for just a two count, and Flair goes to cut him off again by whipping him in the ropes, but Barry Wyndham blocks the hip toss and turns it into a backslide. Will he get the pinfall here? No, he does not. Unlike uh, what happened at the uh, Sportatorium when Kerry Von Erich won the NWA World Heavyweight Championship by pinning Ric Flair with a backslide, uh, a move that is rarely ever resulted in a pinfall, but of course it did for Kerry Von Erich. Ric Flair's had enough here. He's begging off. He started walking down the aisle, and Barry Wyndham, to break the count, goes back into the ring because he wants, uh, he wants to win the title, and the title cannot change hands on a countout. A little slight break in the action here as Flair takes his time getting back into the ring, but now he's begging off. He is studying his opponent, Barry Wyndham, before they lock up again. Uh, Ric Flair, of course, laying in the tremendous chops, and Barry Windham firing back, showing great fire. He always had great fire and uh, great facials. He knew how to sell, but on this occasion, at on this moment, he has the upper hand. He goes for a pinfall, and it's just, uh, I believe, a one count, almost just about a two count. Not every pinfall is a two and three quarters like we see nowadays. Uh, there's variance in the count. Now he is uh, in the full guard position and giving several right hands to the prone Ric Flair and Tommy Young's warning him that, hey, you better knock off the closed fists. Uh, it's been rare in wrestling history where anybody has been disqualified for using a closed fist, but that does not stop the referee from getting after them. I don't know that I've even noticed the referees trying to enforce too many of the old uh, traditional wrestling rules as we see Barry Windham with a suplex of Ric Flair back into the ring and only getting a two count here. Uh, I would really like to see referees carry more of a part of the match. Uh, they're largely forgotten. Uh, and I, I understand that you're not really supposed to notice them in there, but honestly, guys, it's the third guy in the ring and he's as much a part of the presentation as the wrestlers can be. And Tommy Young is someone that you want to study to find out exactly what I'm talking about as far as referees are considered. And uh, we see a uh, boxer count going on here again as Barry Wyndham missed a big drop kick off the top rope. And Ric Flair is to his feet first and looks like he's going to go for that figure four leg lock again. But Barry Wyndham rolls him up in a small package, but it was not for three as the Nature Boy still has plenty more in the tank 
Of course, Nature Boy Ric Flair, known for his cardiovascular conditioning. He was known to get on the stair stepper back in the day and just go and go and go for like an hour at a time. Uh, an impressive feat. Uh, my local uh, gymnasium or health center has the very same type stair machines that Flair used to use. And the thought of doing it for an hour plus or just an hour is amazing because I've done it and I've done it on a slow speed at like five and uh, for an hour that is incredibly impressive uh, I know my wife will go upwards of 10 or better for short spouts I don't know how she does that but I usually start out with eight just get my heart rate up there and then I'll move it down to six and that seems to keep my heart rate at a plenty high enough condition but I cannot imagine doing it for an hour let alone keeping the partying lifestyle that Ric Flair had but that does not mean I'm not one for a try and I think about the nature boy every time I am on that machine while Barry Windham has taken the advantage in this matchup as Ric Flair is now laid out outside the ring as Barry Windham looks to inflict more punishment here uh, the crowd has not settled down at all, and uh, it's just the way the crowd is conditioned. Uh, I think it's a combination of things. These guys are not doing fancy maneuvers, and the crowd is still going crazy, but I think it's a lot more than that. I think it's just the, the actual performers themselves. Uh, they're just, they're just, it's a different level, and I think nowadays, for whatever reason, the wrestling stars, and hey, they're working hard, but... I think uh, they have to do some of these other moves in order to get over because it's just, quite frankly, they did not grow up in the territory system where uh, they did not have to work hard to get themselves over. They basically put plugged into this WWE machine and they tell you how to walk and how to talk and all that stuff. And there's something to be said for that, but I don't think there's anything, nothing can replace experience. And that experience that uh, these guys of this generation that we're talking about, Barry Wyndham, Ric Flair, there, there's no substitute for the experience they got growing up in the business. As we see the dear, dirtiest player in the game with a low blow to Barry Windham. And now Barry is down on the ground. Now Barry Windham's in yellow trunks here with the lightning bolt on his back. Uh, you would see that on quite a few wrestlers back then. Uh, whether it was a holdover from tag team days or what. But uh, the lightning bolt on the trunks was very popular. But he's in the yellow trunks and the... Uh, Cowboy boot covered wrestling boots and thanks for uh, luckily Tommy Wonder, uh, my buddy Tommy Wonder, they are both wearing knee pads here. Now the Nature Boy is in the powder blue attire and he was always matching from head to toe so therefore he has the powder blue knee pads of course not actually on his knees because he felt he had small calves and the powder blue boots as Barry Wyndham has come back enough to Lock on the sleeper hold on the Nature Boy. And Flair is struggling. He's turning in a circle, trying to get out of this. Uh, and Barry Wyndham pushes him into the corner, and he and Ric Flair falls back into Barry Wyndham, and Barry reapplies the sleeper hold. Now Flair is starting to settle down. That carotid artery is getting kinked. Uh, his uh, airflow is slowing down and he is starting to fade here down to the mat as Barry Windham continues to hold that sleeper hold here. Now, boy, you can always tell when these guys are in a battle. There's just something about it when it's been several minutes and the hair is soaked. 
that was a lot, uh, what a signature thing of wrestlers back here was a lot of them had long hair. And that was because it's just a lot more theatrical to see head movement when person has long hair. And it really shows that you've been in a battle when your hair is drenched in sweat. Or it could just mean that you're a very sweaty individual, which was the case with me. I can put my shoes on and be breaking into a significant sweat. I need a good 45 minutes after a shower just to cool down because showers just make me sweat. Uh, I don't know what that is. I've tried everything to undo that, and it just doesn't seem to work. As uh, Barry Wyndham has broken the sleep roll because it was not polishing off the match, and he went to go give a splash on Flair, and Flair brought up his knees. Now both men are down again. Tommy Young is once again doing the boxer count, but appears Flair has up and turned onto his knees first. As he is struggling to get to his feet, the battle is certainly start to wear out both men as he has Barry Wyndham by the hair, lifting him up. I see a chop coming, and it is a chop. Only only took one chop this time to put Barry Wyndham down. Whereas earlier in the match, they would battle back and forth. This is showing us that they have been through battle, that we are deeper in the match, that one chop puts Bear Wyndham down as Ric Flair climbs to the top rope. And guess what? It's not going to work out. Surprise, surprise. As Barry Wyndham is up first, and he has Flair, and he's going to military press him off the top rope. Saw that one coming a mile away. Ric Flair has rarely, if ever, hit a move off the top rope, and today was no different on this occasion in that match. And now, turnabout fair play, as Barry Wyndham has locked in Flair's signature figure for a laid lock on Flair himself. And Flair is selling it big time. Uh, he is in pain. He is screaming. He is shaking that full head of hair around for everybody to see. He is falling back. Uh, and the referee is counting one, and he's back up again. He is screaming in agony. He's back down again. One, two. He's up again, and there's only one way out at this point because they're both in the center of the ring, and that's to eye-rake Barry Windham. And now we're up, and he's shooting him in the ropes. It's a reversal by Barry Windham and a power slam by Barry Windham. This was a very popular move by the bigger guys in the 80s, but it is not for a three-count. He only gets two here as Barry Windham Looks like he wants to go back to that figure for a leg lock again. Uh, he does a spinning toe hold, but Ric Flair goes to the eyes once again. Uh, that, would not, that was not the first time we would go to the eyes here, but he'd not get all of it as Barry Wyndham is firing back, shoots him in the ropes, and it's going to be, well, he misses the lariat, and Flair cross body, and this is going to send Flair, both men, outside the ring. Uh, they do not have enough momentum to go up and over the top rope. They did not go back and try to redo it. They just did the veteran maneuver of just falling in between the ropes and down to the ground. Both men are up. Flair has him and shoots Barry Windham into the, well, he tries to throw him into the ring pole, but Barry stops it. Flair does not know this as Flair has climbed back in the ring and Barry Windham is on the top rope and this time connects with the drop kick to Ric Flair. Is it a three count? Is it a three count? No. Flair had his foot on the ropes. It looks like Tommy Young was going to declare Barry Wyndham the winner here and the new champion. But at the very last split second, we're talking split second, he sees Ric Flair with his foot on the ropes. The crowd went from the uh, penthouse to the outhouse in a moment's time. But not to wait around, Barry Wyndham shoots into the ropes, hits with his flying lariat, and once again, too close to the ropes, perhaps a rookie maneuver as Ric Flair has put 
his foot on the ropes again. Frustration is now setting into Barry Wynnum as he seems to be just trying random things to get the pinfall here. Uh, I sense some chicanery going to come here at any time. Oh, there's a float over vertical souffle by Barry Wyndham. Only a two count. Both men are exhausted here. And Barry Wyndham once again went for that figure for a leg lock. He got the spinning toehold, and Ric Flair shoots him into the ropes by pushing on his buttocks and then takes him over in a side clothesline, which Barry Wyndham turns into a leg scissors, and Flair rolls out. And, oh, this is a big, we're looking, this is going to do the old alley-oop. And into another backslide by Barry Windham for a pinfall. No, only a count of one and a half there. Really, no one has the upper hand at this point. It's simply a battle between two of the top wrestling stars in the NWA, as we are seeing a lot of back-and-forth action. And Barry Windham just rolls him up here. And Ric Flair has reversed the roll-up, and he has a handful of tights. And he is, gets a pinfall. He gets a pinfall with a handful of double tights, both two handfuls of tights. Barry Wyndham had rolled him up after, after shooting him into the turnbuckles, and Ric Flair rolled over once more, and with two fistfuls of tights, picks up the victory, and immediately, as fast as he can, he is worn out, but he is rolled out to the ring apron as Tommy Young fetches the world's heavyweight title and hands it to him as Barry Wyndham looks absolutely disgusted. We see Gary Michael Capetta in the ring looking very damper in a white tuxedo as he is going to announce the finale of this match as we go to the replay here. Barry Wyndham is behind Ric Flair and pushes him into the turnbuckles and then rolls him up. And Flair reaches up. Uh, Barry Wyndham was leaning back a little bit too far and just enough for Flair to roll over again with two handfuls of tights. And if only Barry Wyndham had had the presence of mind, he could have reached out just a little bit further and got his hands on the ropes. But, of course, that was not something that um, the good guy did at this time in the professional wrestling rule. So a tremendous bout. We went about 16 minutes or so. Of course, at the very beginning, just a few the opening moments had been cut out. But wow, you talk about action. Boy, this was NWA World Heavyweight title action. And guys, we got to see this on a regular, on the regular, as the kids nowadays say. We got to see it all the time. And this was just one of several just stellar matchups between Nature Boy, Ric Flair, and Barry Windham. So, uh, you know, after this, uh, Ric Flair would, of course, go on to eventually lose that world heavyweight title to Ronnie Garvin. The word on the street or the lore is that Barry Windham did not want the title. They wanted to put the title on Barry Windham, but he just did not want that responsibility. Uh, I believe it was Arn Anderson that said Barry Windham was a guy with just all the talent in the world, but as long as he had uh, some money in his pocket, Fast car and a lady, he was good. He was just on to the next thing. And he was more into that than he was being uh, a flag bearer or someone that had to carry the responsibility of the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. So they end up making that title switch to, to uh, Ronnie Garvin, and that came with a lot of disappointment. Uh, it didn't help that they came on TV and said, Ronnie Garvin is not going to have to defend that title until... Um, Starcade, uh, what was that, 87. Uh, so he already was getting hated by then. And he just was not the 
people didn't consider him uh, a world heavyweight champion. Uh, he had he had much fanfare, and he had some really brutal, good matches with Flair. I mean, real slugfest. But people didn't just see him as a as a credible world champion at this time. I, in fact, I can think back to uh, it was probably a Pro Wrestling Illustrated or maybe Inside Wrestling or the Wrestler, uh, one of the Bill After uh, related magazines where uh, they I remember the headline that said Ronnie Garvin wins NWA title and goes on vacation and I can still remember that it was one of those uh, it was near the back of the magazine where you would have to turn the magazine sideways because it covered both pages and it would look like the front of a newspaper and that was the headline Ronnie Garvin wins NWA title and goes on vacation so Certainly on all fronts, they were not painting a very good picture for Ronnie Garvin. I'm not sure why that was. You'd think they wouldn't want to elevate him as much as they could. But maybe the writing was on the wall uh, because, of course, Ronnie Garvin would lose the title back to Nature Boy Ric Flair and head to the WWF and be a referee and feud with Greg Valentine and throw towels out and be largely forgotten. Uh, he just did not have the charisma for the WWF, but they certainly tried to do a lot of different things with him. Uh, we all know what Ric Flair would go on to do in his career, but that is a story for another day. Uh, as for this matchup, please go out and seek Ric Flair versus Barry Windham, and really anything from 1986-1987 between the two is, ter is absolutely tremendous. But we'll be back here in a minute. Ignites into explosive wrestling action. The war games have begun. Welcome to the Bash 87. You have a better than ringside seat at wrestling history in the making. Ten men, two rings wrapped in steel, and only one way out. War Games 1 and the rematch, War Games 2. Precious Paul Ellery, the Road Warriors, Dusty Rhodes and Nikita Koloff versus the Four Horsemen and J.J. Dillon in a dangerous new kind of wrestling. Plus, Nikita Koloff versus Lex Luger, Ric Flair's title defense against Jimmy Garvin, Dr. Death, Steve Williams, Michael Hayes and the Freebirds, the Rock and Roll Express, Barry Windham, Big Bubba Rogers and the Midnight Express. Two hours of the best never seen on television before. The War Games on VHS or beta video you know I really hope that you enjoyed uh, this rundown of Barry Windham versus Ric Flair I am certainly no Jim Ross and uh, I'm not even uh, Bob Cottle for that means but uh, I don't think I'm the only one that enjoyed this matchup and uh, taking a little something from some other people I'm not certainly not the first person to check out some of the other comments on say a social media site like I don't know, maybe something that has a tube in it and a red square with a white triangle in it. But just after reviewing this match, I want to see what other people are seeing uh, in the most recent times about this match way back in 1987. And it looks like Jay Johnson says, what can I say but one of the greatest matches ever. Uh, I agree with him there, and I don't know about the greatest ever. There were certainly better matches between Nature Boy Ric Flair and Barry Wyndham, but it's just an example how this was just another match for these guys, and they had tons more. Uh, the Prophet of Rage, yikes, he sounds like he hasn't gone poop in a while. He says, man, Crockett's rings were stiff. Well, excuse me, Prophets of Rage, but how would you know that? 
Uh, you can't possibly tell that by just watching it. In fact, in this era, 1987, the WWF ring was known for being the stiff ring. And imagine uh, people like Hulk Hogan doing that leg drop again and again and again and again. It wasn't until much later on where Vince McMahon decided, boy, everyone's getting hurt, we better soften up these rings. Uh, Roy Lander Williams Jr. says, this was a dang good match. I agree with you, Roy Lander. It was a dang good match. Uh, let's see here. Derek Robertson says, which flare window match was it where Barry ended up getting pinned with the figure four? I thought that was either a mistake by the ref or a brilliant piece of booking. Well, it's hard to tell because, like I said, they've had several matches, and it was brilliant booking. It made you wanting more. The problem was, as history looks back, uh, we can now see all these things, uh, watch them all in one day if we want, and it seems very repetitive. And there did come a time where, when it became known as the dusty finish, or some screwed up finish, people would get tired of it. Sometimes, somebody's got to win, and it's got to be in the middle of the ring. As uh, Randy Savage would say, you win or lose in the middle of the ring. Okay, James Lott says, Flair backing away. No, no. Ha, 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 ha. Yes, as we mentioned, Ric Flair... That was one of his traditional things, just like he had never hit a move off the top rope ever. In fact, me and Truth Martini used to joke about that all the time. We used to joke about two things. That uh, Ric Flair could be on the top rope and the person, his opponent could be in the entryway and he would be begging off. And then the other thing that would be greatly telegraphed was when Rick, when his partner, Arn Anderson, would shoot someone to the ropes and completely bend over and turn his head, knowing, knowing for the fans anyways, that he was going to be cut off by his opponent. It was very great telegraphing. Okay, John Crane says, at the 8.55 mark, woof. That could mean a couple things. It could be the dog kennel from hell match between Big Boss Man and Al Snow. I don't think that was the case here in 1987. I can only assume that maybe it was someone that he did not find attractive. And I don't think it's worth my time to go back and look at 855. But if you seek out this match, you can go ahead and check out 855 and find out just what is woof. All right. Oh, we have Jay Johnson again saying, please add this match, WWE 2K17. Hmm, looks like he left that two years ago. Hey, maybe that match will be added in 2K19, but I would not hold my breath. All right. One last comment here from Nodia1234100. Very clever. It says, Ha ha, that chubby kid at 416 hiding behind his fat mom when Flair approaches. Oof, boy, you cannot get away with that comment nowadays. Luckily, this comment was left two years ago. But yes, this person, they might be fat shaming, but Ric Flair was known for one of his uh, many lines that he would yell at many of people in the audience saying, Fat boy! Well, I think that's enough for taking to the streets here. And as always, you can uh, check me out on the Twitter. I am at PWPaperChampion. And please do that if you don't want to see a bunch of tweeting because, quite frankly, I just don't get to it very often. Uh, sometimes if there's a rare holiday or a rare uh, day where I have some extra time, then I jump on the Twitter and find some good material on there. Otherwise, fans, we will see you next time on the Nuts and Volts of wrestling.
can't tell But I've been seen with fire up I've never been with anything less than a nine So fine I've been on fire with Sally Field Gone fast with a girl named Bowen But somehow they just don't end up as mine It's a death-defying life I lead I take my chances I die for living in the movies and TV 